gorgeous out. Let's pop some docks. This is the Updock Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Meaden, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Boom. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast, part of the OKS Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Meaden. I am one of your hosts, and I'm joined by the newly crowned rooster assassin, Jeff Ludicky. Oh, recrowned. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. You got it back. You got it back. Wonderful. And the Mississippi Riverboat Gambler himself. Doing good. Yep. Doing good. Just that's it. Doing good. Simple tonight. It's very simple tonight. We're good. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. What are we uh what are we drinking, Jeff? I have okay. Um, it's a New Glarus Staghorn. Okay, it's pretty good. So, for those of you that don't know, New Glarus is the brewery of the, the famous Wisconsin spotted cow that everybody likes to uh, smuggle across the border. Um, but yeah, this is one of their other beers, the Staghorn. It's good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever had that one. But I do like his body cow, or I used to. Uh, Matt, what's on the desk? Just water again. Just water. Hey, me too. Long day. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I hear you there. I hear you there. Well, uh, since we're all just overjoyed here with pleasantries, let's just dive right in. Let's introduce our guests. Let's get the let's get the party started. So tonight we have on Megan Helmuth. She I'll let her introduce herself. A little teaser though she owns three beastlets so if that does not hold your interest i do not know what will megan welcome to the podcast hey thanks for having me guys uh my name is megan helmuth i'm born and raised in central wisconsin i own three beastlets as tyler was telling you um honestly i used to show horses which kind of gave me an interest in training dogs after i met my husband about nine years ago we were kind of searching for our first bird dog um, and Taylor is my husband's name. He was working with someone at work and they were having their first litter of visuals. Um, They're like, hey, why don't you come over and meet our dogs before you commit to a certain breed? Um, so we went over and we met their visuals, fell in love with them. And now we have three visuals and a toddler. Perfect. A crazy household, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> it, I call it my circus and it certainly is. <laughs> Okay. So did, did, okay, let's go back though. Did you grow up hunting? Yes and no. Um, my family is a big like deer hunting family. Um, I took my hunter safety around 12 years old, I think. And then I, the first time I went hunting, kind of a funny story. I was sitting with my dad and we live close to a farm where my uncle lives and we looked down this hollow and we're like, Oh great. Like all these cows are out there scaring all the deer. So we had to go and help him get these cattle back in. And then I was just like, you know what? I don't really feel like hunting anymore. So <laughs> I did not hunt for a few years. I met my husband, Taylor, um, and he was a big, big hunter, mostly waterfowl and um, big game hunting. So he kind of introduced me, reintroduced me 
um, taught me how to bow hunt. We went turkey hunting and I kind of got hooked from that point on. So it was, I was probably about gosh, 20, I would say. I don't, I don't even know how to do math right now, but, um, I would say I was about 20 when I really got into hunting. Okay. And did, did Taylor grow up with dogs? He did. They weren't necessarily hunting dogs. His yeah. brother had a lab that they hunted with quite a bit. And some of his friends had labs, I believe as well. Um, but that's really all he ever knew was labs, but they never, his family didn't own hunting dogs. They had a retriever, um, or golden retriever, excuse me, and a beagle. Okay. Okay. So then, so then, so you're, uh, so Taylor's coworker is like, Hey, we're having, we're having a litter of Vislas. You should come over and, and meet them. And that's how you, so I guess just talk us through that. You went over there and you fell in love. Yeah. So they, they were having their first litter. Um, and they said, why don't you come just, cause we had no idea what a Vishla was. So we're like, what are they? What, you know, we had no idea. Um, they're like, well, they're a versatile hunting dog, which again, when you just hunt with a lap, I don't want to say just a lap. That sounds rude. Um, when you're used to just hunting with retrievers, you're like, what do pointing dogs do? What do they look like? You know? So we went over there and they kind of talked us through, you know, the characteristics of Vigilas. When we walked in the door, I think they had seven dogs at the time. So it makes my three sound like nothing. Um, we walked in the door and all of their dogs were sitting and one by one, they tapped them on the head, released them. They came and came and met us, greeted us by the door. They didn't jump. They didn't, nip at our hands nothing they came back when they were called and sat back down and i looked at taylor and i said holy cow like what are these dogs i grew up with shelties um as our family dogs so they just knew sit come stay like the very basic things and um so when we went to see these dogs they just every single one of them came directly to us and i just remember being so impressed and just got hooked, honestly, because they're so sweet, but also so, so simple to be around. A, a, a well-trained dog reduces your the amount of stress in your life. Absolutely. It, yeah. it certainly does. I had never seen anything like that. I mean, I'd been around good dogs that listened, but not like that. That was really impressive. Was, I And I, Jeff or Matt, I interrupted one of you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, what breeder did you get them from? So our first dog came from Matt and Cheryl Tep at Smoothbore Vigilas. Smoothbore. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then our second dog we co-owned with Cheryl. So we, I had a really unique opportunity. Um, she didn't have the space for a dog at that time. And she's like, Hey, would you want to co-own with me? Which is a whole story in itself, kind of, you know, what co-ownership is. But um, so we ended up getting a female from, I believe she changed her name. It's Bluegrass Bird Dogs now in Kentucky. Um, her name is Holly Hatfield. And then the sire to that is my good friend, Jenny Martinson out in South Dakota. And then our third dog came from Bridget Nielsen at Wall Canyon Vigilas. And she's out of Montana. Oh, okay. So kind of from all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of have a mixture of everything, which is pretty cool. Now, were there, obviously, you didn't really know Vichels at the time. You got your first one, right? But by the time you came around to your third one, did you have certain lines and things that you had picked out? Yes and no. Um, our first one, we lucked into. Honestly, Bentley is a 
well, he heard me. Now he's barking at me. Um, he is a jack of all trades. I mean, he will do anything. He loves the water. Um, the second one, I didn't, I didn't really know a lot about lines at the time that we kind of just went into this venture, but, um, now for our third one, I I've met with Cheryl and Jenny and Bridget and just kind of seeing different dogs work. We hunted with, um, Cruz's mom. That's our third dog. And I, I fell in love with her. I just love her personality. She's super hard driven, but in the house, she's really laid back. All their lines are really different, but they all bring different qualities to the hunt. And to be completely honest, I think even having three dogs, we're still learning so much about the genetics and the lines and what we like, what we want to improve on. So it's it's really fun for us just to have three very different dogs from a training and a hunting perspective to work with. That's cool. Um to talk about that a little bit to, like expand upon that a little bit more because i'm i'm curious like where i guess the backgrounds of your three different dogs of bentley jetta and cruz and then you know what you've seen as far as what they do based on their pedigrees and their backgrounds sure so bentley is like i said he's really our jack of all trades he i i don't know how we lucked into a first dog like that i he actually behind me you can kind of see this is his wall i just happen to be sitting in here but he oh my gosh that dog i could talk about him for years he loves the water he will go into a pheasant field he's not super big expanding but he's about the perfect amount he'll go you know he goes out he casts beautifully he comes back and checks in he's not a self-working dog he'll work with you um all of our dogs really do but he he especially excels in the water, which really surprised us because Vigils aren't known for a lot of water drive. Um, and I think his dad was pretty big. I never got to hunt with his dad. I got to see him train a little bit, but his dad was his dad was phenomenal too, along with his mom. Jetta is very, very compliant, very cooperative. I wouldn't say she loves the water but if i ask her to do things in the water she says yes absolutely because i'm asking her to she loves to pheasant hunt she loves anything upland she retrieves this year i think she retrieved on one of our hunts that we went on she retrieved i think five out of the seven birds that we shot she just she gets right in there buried in the cattail she'll go and find anything she's a great tracker which is really cool to have her point is not as convincing as the boys that's one thing i've noticed that's different between the boys and the one girl that we have so again i can only give my experience but she's she's not as convincing i can read her but other people are like okay is there a bird there is there not um and cruz is i call him our little dennis the menace i love him but he is so different he is a very big running dog. He was bred for the big open country. Um, just his, his lineage, he's a much bigger running dog. He's more independent, which Bridget had told me. She's like, this is going to be a different dog, which is really what we wanted. We wanted something a little bit different from Bentley and Jetta. So when we got Cruz, he really bonded with Taylor when we went to go pick him up. Um, it was, it was really cool. The other two have bonded with me really well, but, um, he is, he is different. He is very, in a great way. Um, he's a big, big ranging dog. He's kind of got the attitude of like, 
I will do it, but you need to ask me correctly. He'll do anything we ask him to. I don't know how to word this, but he's just, Bentley's like, yep, you tell me, you show me, I'll do it. Jetta's like, ah, okay, you ask me, I'll do it. And Cruz is like, let me think for a second. Yep, okay, I'll do it. And I actually really like it. Hmm. That uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And you love different things about all these dogs. And it's it's just, it's fun to see their personality develop and how different their drive is. Like they all have a good amount of drive, but it's all in different areas. It is. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, you talk about the range and that's, it's interesting. I mean, Vishlas aren't really known, I think, for like a big running dogs, like compared to GSPs and things like that. At least mine isn't. Um, she's more of like a 50 to 100 yard dog. You know, and that seems like to be the more common trait probably with Vishlas, um, at I least from, from what I've experienced. And she's always checking in on me. You know, every like 10 minutes, she'll stop, turn around, try to find me, locate me. She's just constantly checking in. So that seems like a pretty pretty common trait that you have with at least one of your dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Bentley and Jetta are pretty consistent that way. And Cruz will check in, but he he has very big casts. Like, I think that that line that he comes from and his genetics that's just built into what i mean they're they're bred for the open country out there and if you've ever hunted you know in montana you know out west it's it's big country so they're covering a lot of ground where the other two were more bred for the grouse woods quite frankly my husband will take cruise out but i'm like i'm not comfortable taking him in the grouse woods just because he's so hard running that i'm like He's not, he's not built for that. He would do it if we asked him to, but he's just not built for that. Yeah. Yeah. Then you got to worry about wolves and things like that too. If the dog gets real far out from you, that's the, we listened to a podcast um, earlier in the year. I think that Matt sent us talking about wolves in the Northwoods and most of them were with real big ranging dogs. Right, Matt? Yeah. The ones that got, you know, kind of away from their owners or don't check in nearly as much. Right. It's just super interesting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. There's um, th- there's so many questions I want to ask you. I'm not even sure which direction I want to go here. Um, <laughs> Sorry for rambling. No, no, no. This is this is good. There, I, I'm like I'm like Jen. I could I, okay. I got to reel it in here. Reel it in. Um, with um, with Cruz, do you think that you know, from a range perspective, or you know, a checking in perspective, or an independence perspective, do you feel like as he gets older? he might mature and and have a little bit more of that? Or do you think you're going to have to um, continuously work with him throughout his entire life? Is that just his personality? No, I think, honestly, I think even, even this year we noticed, and that, that kind of comes with their age, right? When they're a puppy, they're, they're learning all of the range, all the, or not the range, but you know, all of the communication, so to say, between their handler and themselves. But even this year, I mean, for Taylor, he handles, that's his person. So he and Cruz have this unspoken language of like, okay, you get so far out, you come back, you check in with me, which is really cool. It's like, he just glides across the field. It's really fun. Um, I think as he ages, I think he's going to get more consistent, but I think that range will always be there. I think he's always going to be a big running dog, but even, even him checking in, that's already gotten so much better over the last year, just because he is maturing already as a two-year-old. So I think I think he will always be a big running dog, but I think the more he matures, 
the more he's going to understand just like, Hey, I'm going to get this far out and check in and then go back out. And then you've used it. You've used a term that, that some people might not be familiar with, which is casting. He takes really big casts. Can you describe what you mean by that? Oh, sure. So casting is where, you know, they leave you, they go out to find birds. So the best way that I can describe is they kind of take a big, it's almost like a loop. They go out into the field and they start to use the wind um, to help them find most dogs use the wind to help them find birds. So it's, you know, they, I'm going to use cast again, as I'm trying to explain it. That's great. Um, so they, they take a swing out, they kind of come back in front of you. Um, and then they'll swing back around the other direction to start kind of catching scent of the birds. And then once they catch scent of the birds, they use what's called a scent cone to kind of bring them in. And once the scent gets strong enough, they'll go on point to let you know there's a bird there. That's 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 perfect, right? If, if someone is from the lab world and they're, they're not experienced with pointers, they might take casting as a different, right? It's a different, they might take it as something differently. So that's, that's a perfect explanation. It makes sense why he takes such big swings though, since that's what he was bred for, right? To run big and just burn down country. Yep, yep. Okay. All right. And then um, I'm going to ask you this because I know you have two unfixed males and a female. Are you planning to like start to breed your, the dogs that you have and create your own lines? We have discussed it. Um, my husband is much more for it than I am, to be honest. Um, with, as you can relate, all of you, um, with a toddler, life is pretty crazy. Um and my biggest thing is when I decide to venture into any sort of breeding, I certainly think it'll happen in the future. So obviously the dogs we have now, when we get into that may not be around, but that would be the goal long-term. Um, but I really want to make sure that we're in a place that we can give back to um, any you know future owners and really dedicate the time to like educate them, help train them, you know, and, and give the time to the puppies that they need to because we've been very fortunate with the breeders that we have worked with, you know, as I mentioned before, Cheryl and Jenny and Bridget, they have all been super helpful and a key part of our success because they're always there to answer questions, to help us train. You know, they did great socialization with the puppies. Um, and I want to be able to do that. And I, at this chapter of my life, I, I know I can't handle that. So um, I'm not trying to bite off more than I can chew. Yep, that makes sense. That makes makes a ton of sense. And Jeff, a question for you: Have are you familiar with any of the breeders that that Megan mentioned? Because the beast of the world is a lot smaller than the lab world. No, I'm not. And that was one of the things um, that I was going to ask about the different lines and things like that to see if there was any similarities there. Um, but I got our Vishla from Russet River Vishla. It's uh, Tim and Lori May. They're out of Milwaukee. Um, so, but we got. I think Crimson Sky, so Crimson Sky is probably the biggest name that's in our Vishla's pedigree. Um, Megan, you've probably heard of Ruger. Um, yep, I think he was like the most titled Vishla. Yeah, so that's my dog's grandfather. Um, and she's got Bush lines. Bush is the big family name that's in there. Um, FC Omega is in her lines. Um, and yeah, Russet River, obviously, as well. But doesn't sound like there's too many similarities in the lines between your dogs and mine, though. There's there's not. And it's kind of funny because, Tyler, you are right. It, the visual world is a lot smaller than the lab world. And honestly, that's part of the part of the struggle that we're having right now is 
we are small, so it's it's kind of hard to find new qualities from different breeders because there's like a like in the lab world, there's a show line, there's a field trial line, there's the Nabda line. So you're kind of trying to find what what your line needs and what what you need to bring into that or what you need to kind of distance yourself from. Um, so I know we have I have a lot of conversations with the breeders that I mentioned before. And it's really interesting to me to learn like their pairings and how they're doing things. It's so new to me that I'm like, this is, this is crazy. Dog breeding is crazy because there's so many factors that go into it and people don't understand that. They don't understand how much work a good quality breeder puts into their line. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And and you, you mentioned how small the Vichla world is, Tyler. I mean, Vichlas were almost, almost extinct, like in world war II. Um, I don't know if you if you know that, but Hungary fell to the Soviet Union and they almost became extinct. And a lot of people were like smuggling these dogs out of Hungary to try to because they were afraid that the Russians were going to eradicate the breed. So they were smuggling them out of the country. Um, and it wasn't until like the 60s, I think, that the AKC like finally recognized Bichlas as a, a sporting dog. So it's like one of the oldest sporting dog breeds in history. But almost one of the last dogs to be added to the AKC in that, in that category as well. There's a really fascinating history with the dog. I didn't know that Jeff. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Jeff, I don't know if you know, they actually ended up breeding in um, some pointer into the breed because there wasn't enough left. So if you ever see any white patches either on their feet or their chest, that's actually where that comes from is some of the setter background. Really? See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was and Josie's Josie's mom has like a big white patch right on her chest. Yeah. But our our she, dog doesn't. For the for the breed standard, they can have a little bit on their chest or a little bit on their toes, but if it spreads, I forget like how much on their chest or like up their legs, then they're not considered a breed standard, which you don't see a lot, but it it does happen. That's interesting. I did not know that. Now, how old are your dogs? I don't think I asked. So Bentley, I'm just going to give you the ages they will be. So Bentley is going to be eight in March. Cruz will be three in March and Jetta will be six. Okay. Eight. Is, uh, is he starting to get any of the sugaring, the Vishla sugaring? He is, but actually our sixth, well, Jetta is going to be, yeah, Jetta will be six, but she's actually more sugar coated than Bentley is surprisingly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Our, our, our female is five and she's already starting to get it on her face and under her chin. Um, so I think she'll be, her grandma is just like super white and super sugared. So I'm sure she's going to have a lot of that as she gets older. It's funny how genetics play into that. It's, it's pretty cool. I, it makes me sad almost though. Cause I'm like, how are one, how are you six? And two, how are you getting gray in the face? Yeah. Yeah. My wife is the same way. She just, she, <laughs> She like tears up every time she looks at her and she's more and more gray every time she looks, it seems, you know. <laughs> I can't uh Mac Mac seven. He's getting just just a little bit on the gums. He looks pretty good for seven, considering nice. Um, but it's it's hard to see. He's held yeah, like he said it's all genetics. I mean, Maggie's she went right when she turned two, she started graying up and she's five and a half now. Like she's pretty gray for a five and a half year old chocolate, but it just it her mom was super white at like seven, I think. It's just all genetics. And it's it's just a it's a horrible reminder of how quick dogs. Yeah, it's up, not great. Right? It's just 
that's going to be yeah. the that's that's the worst part about owning a dog. Yeah, true. true. Yes. Yeah, Matt, Matt. I was going to say, you know, I some people would associate gray hairs on dogs with stress, and I, I mean, Maggie, she lives a real stressful life in your house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when she's not training or hunting, she's like couch queen now. I don't know why she gets so gray. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan, um, we've talked a lot about your three dogs. I kind of want to hear about their accomplishments. I, I see the wall behind you. You kind of showed us briefly, but why don't you brag a little bit about your three dogs? I want to hear, hear some of their titles and things. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, cut me off if I get too long winded. But <laughs> so we joined, we joined NABDA. Let me just Kind of give you a little overview and then the accomplishments will make a little more sense so when we got bentley from matt and cheryl tep they had in our contract that we needed to at least run him through natural ability and navda i don't know how familiar you guys are with navda a little bit a little bit so yeah. it's the natural ability test is really kind of gathering information mostly for the breeder to kind of test and see how the natural ability of these puppies is developing to evaluate their litters. So they're pointing, they're tracking, they're swimming. You know, if they can get a lot of the puppies to test and they say, oh, you know, all of the puppies, some of this is environmental, so they have to take it with a grain of salt. But if all the puppies are struggling with their search, you know, they're like, okay, so we need to bring some bigger range into our line or if they're struggling with swimming okay well we need to find a you know find a way to bring in some water drive or things like that so that is kind of how we got started in navda is it was a requirement for us to run natural ability and then i saw a utility dog which is part obedience but mostly i mean it's it's the next level which we really enjoy that the most there's a 10 minute duck search there's a steady by blind sequence. There is a drag of duck, like a 200 yard drag of duck, and then a um, 30 minute field hunt where they have to go and find and point birds. They need to stay steady through the whole sequence, um, through wing shot and fall. They have to retrieve to hand and then be sent off. There's a healing portion. So it gets pretty in depth. And then you have to get a certain score to go to the invitational. The invitational is like the top level it's invite only. You have, to, like I said, you have to get a certain score. So that being said, we decided, yeah, why don't we go through with Bentley, do the utility test? Um, and it, it was a lot of things that we use in our hunting scenarios, you know, for duck hunting. We want them to go and search for a duck and not give up until they find one and bring it back. That's super valuable to us. So we went through that with Bentley, fell in love with the utility test. Um, he fell short his first utility test. I was devastated. Um, he came back at nine and a half minutes and I was like, oh my gosh, my, my heart just shattered because they have to be out there for at least 10 minutes. They'll call you back. Blessing in disguise. Um, we, came, we came back the next spring after he broke his foot in the winter. And I was like, well, I don't know if he's going to be able to run the utility test, but I'll sign him up, whatever. He ended up getting two points shy of a perfect score. Um, again, this being my first bird dog, I don't, I don't know how this happened. A lot has to do to him. He is fantastic. Um, so he qualified for the invitational. We ran at the invitational the following year. Um, did not pass training error. I, I got in my head. It is, it's a big test. It's a very big stage, a really cool experience, but the pressure definitely got to me and it's not it's not the pressure from other people because they were super supportive, but 
it's just a very big stage and a lot of moving pieces that's pretty advanced. Um, so I ended up requalifying him because you can go as many times as you want to, but you have to get a passing score to get back in for the next year. So if you pass one year, you fail at the invitational, you have to requalify in a different test to go to the next year. So we did that. Um, and that is the same year that Jetta, the year that I failed the invitational, I came back, I requalified Bentley, I ran Jetta in her um, natural ability test and a utility test the same year. She was a year and four months old, which is really young. She passed, so I had two dogs qualified for the invitational, which is, is pretty cool. Um, then COVID hit. So we had a full year to sit. Um, we were actually building a house at the time. So again, blessing in disguise. And then we took them. I ended up getting pregnant. I was seven months pregnant when I went to the invitational with both dogs and fell short of the blind, which has been my um, issue, which retrievers are going to be like, wow, that seems like a piece of cake for your dogs. But it's hard for these these other dogs, because it's strictly obedience. I am amazed by labs and how they can do the things that they do for retrieving. <laughs> so let me, let me, can I stop yeah. for a quick second? When you say by the blind, so like what, what is being asked of your dogs at the invitational to do with, with blind work? Really good question. So the blind portion at the invitational is a hunt, roughly a hundred yard blind across water. So you heel down to the water edge, you line them up. They, there's, there is a duck on the other side. They do not see the duck being put out. They don't, there's no flying, no noise, no nothing. Um, it's strictly obedient to you say one command. They have to go across the water, fetch the duck and bring it back to hand. So if they don't, they come back, you get a point deducted. You can resend them. But in the point system, you only get so many points that you have to get certain points to pass the test, just like, just like yours. Yeah. So when they bring the duck back, you heal off to the next portion of the test and then so on and so forth. But that's, that's the blind portion. Are, are you able to, when they're in the water, are you able to handle them then? Or is it just, you send them and they just have to keep going? So you, you can handle them, but if they don't take your command that you're giving, you get docked points. Sure. Okay. Yeah. When, so, I mean, a hundred yards is a huge swim. Yeah. That's, that's not a, a small, that's not a small water blind. Yeah. Even. Yeah. our world no that is a big time because it's that's so much swimming time and then you have if you have a crosswind if you have like lily pads or other stuff and the, like there's that's that's a big time blind mm -hmm. it and it's water that they've never seen they've never been on i mean you're not allowed to go and train on this water so that's the cool thing about the invitational which i probably should have elaborated on a little bit more is there's, there's an hour field hunt. There is a, it's called a double mark. So there's a bird, um, they call it the marking bird. So it's it's about 60 to 70 yards. And then they do what's called a wiper bird. Well, the first one's a memory bird. The second bird is a, is a wiper bird. They go to get the wiper bird. Then you have to send them for um, the memory bird. Again, they have to bring them back to hand and you there's another healing portion. You only, you only get one command for each bird. That one, you don't want to handle too much. Um, there's an hour in the field with a brace mate. So they're not only looking for their own birds, pointing their own birds, handling everything. They're also, if they come across a dog that's on point, they need to honor. They'll stand there. Um, they honor the entire process. Like they can't sit. They're supposed to stand. 
they're not allowed to move until you heal them out once the dog has retrieved their bird. So that's pretty cool. And then we have the blind and then there's um, another portion where like after the blind you heal over, they need to sit. It's basically a hula hoop sized ring. They sit in this ring. There's a duck that's flown and another dog goes and retrieves it in front of them and they can't move. And then you heal out. It's there's, there's honestly a lot of elements of, of a retriever test. I know Matt, you're listening to it and going, yeah, this yeah. sounds pretty familiar too. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is, is that if you come from the retriever world, like the hunt test world, um, you know, and I would compare it to like a, a pointing lab test where I was just going to say, it sounds very much like the APLA stuff that I know some people that run. It's like, it's like piecemeals of a HRC test. And then there's a whole pointing section of it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And the, the hard part with that is at least, and I would imagine it carries over into the, the pointer role too. Um, is that right you're asking your dog to run straight lines on a blind then you're asking them to quarter in a field like there's it's it's really hard to hold all those standards together because it's different skills absolutely and it's it's all in one day and they they don't have a lot of time to decompress from one event to the other so asking them to switch their brain you know and they they can't you know like for Cruz, he is qualified i can go into that in a little bit more but he's qualified for the invitational this coming year and it's it's going to be really interesting to see how he is able to adjust from one venue to the other, just because one, he's so young, but I honestly think he, it, it may be, it may be coming from, you know, our, our training is a little bit more advanced now too, but I'm really excited to see how he's able to adjust, especially at such a young age, age because he's so, he's so sharp and so willing to learn and work. It's really fun. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Sorry. I interrupted you. You were talking about the invitational qualifying your first two dogs. Um, and then you're running there, you're seven months pregnant and then, you know, failed at the blind, failed at the blind <laughs> full time. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. That's no, where we were. That's okay. It just, it's one of those things that you constantly replay in your head and you're like, okay, where's the loophole in my training? So that's been a big thing for me, you know, to go back to the basics and work on that. But, um, we ended up getting crews. Um, we weren't really planning on getting a third dog when we did, but there was an extra puppy born in a litter that I really, really liked. Um, and it just happened where it worked out that we ended up getting the opportunity to add him to our family. And we didn't know going out there if we were getting a male or a female. We just knew we were getting a dog. Um, we went out there and came home with Cruz and he is certainly living up to his name. He is a full throttle dog that is so much fun to work with. He, um, we went through our natural ability test. I ran him and then Taylor actually has been on the sideline most of my NADA career. So I used to train and show horses, just train my personal horses. Um, sold them when we moved in together. It just life gets kind of crazy. We got our own hunting dog. Um, and then fast forward i got to do the first two dogs taylor's like why don't you train the dogs go through navda i'll just hunt them this is great it's a win-win for everybody well he kind of got the bug he's been you know supporting me and watching me and he's like well would you mind if i tried to run cruise and i was like go for it have you know that's great i was like if you decide you don't want to do it i'll run him but he took the reins on cruise's utility tests and just ran with it and like i said they have such a connection it's so fun to watch 
And as fun, fun as it is for me to handle dogs, it's been even more fun to watch him just enjoy what I've been enjoying for the last few years with our dogs and just being able to qualify. We're both qualified now. Um, Jetta and Cruz are qualified for the Invitational. So we get to go together as a couple, both running a dog. And it's just, it's going to be a really cool experience. What about, what about Bentley? Oh yeah, Bentley. So he just passed the Invitational this year. So he ran at three Invitationals. Um, his breeder had reached out to me. I had kind of told her, I said, hey, you know, I have these two other younger dogs. I've ran Bentley twice. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with his career. I love where he's at. He's given me so much. And she said, what would you think about me trying to requalify him for the invitation? And to be completely honest, and she'll agree with me if she hears this, it, it took her about three times of her asking me before I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you can do that. Just because I, I'm kind of a competitive person. I love that everything that I do has been something I accomplished, but thinking about Bentley and how much he loves to do this, I was like, well, you know what? Why don't, worst case scenario he enjoys the whole summer and he doesn't pass again it is what it is you know there's really nothing to lose so she took him she requalified him um and she took him for the whole summer and really worked on his blind i like i said i have a loophole in my training for the blind which i'm working through but she she put in a lot of effort to really get him confident at the blind again um and he ended up passing at the invitational which was really cool. I wasn't there to see it, but it was, she called me and I, I cried because it was, it's a big accomplishment. Um, and he actually just earned dog of the year through our NAVDA chapter, which is a really cool award. It's where all of the dogs in our chapter are considered by the previous year's recipient. And they choose based on, you know, how they feel the dog gave back to the chapter and, you know, just, just being a dog that stood out more than the rest, which was really, really cool to receive. That's uh that's awesome. So his, his title, so his official title when you pass the invitational is versatile champion, correct? Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So now he is listed as a versatile champion. That's awesome. Cool. Man, I'm sitting here just making my head spin listening to all these tests of like poor Josie up there, you know, sitting on the couch. She's just, uh, as Tyler likes to call it, a meat dog, right, Tyler? That's the, the term no, I think that's you not, used. Okay, okay. That's, <laughs> it's like so, she wouldn't stand a, a chance at these tests, but. <laughs> we So there's, meat dog can be a derogatory term to some people. I told it's, you that, yep. I, I know, like, I, I don't know. like it. I don't, I don't view it as that, right? There's, I think there's the connotation that a meat dog is an untrained dog, right? You know, you can have people that, you know, the training is exactly the same. They just don't want to run tests and right. that's, you know, and that's, it's still a meat dog. So it's not a derogatory term. I hunt, I love hunting behind Josie, Jeff. All right. All right. Good. <laughs> just, all right. Oh man. Um, I, with my next facial though, I would love for that dog to be able to pick up ducks and geese. I think that would be, that would be huge for me. And that would allow me to get out waterfall hunting a lot more. Um, and I focus so much on upland hunting because I can bring the dog. You know, that's that's one of the the number one criteria in our household is can you bring the dog? Okay, go for it. So I naturally upland hunt a lot more than I waterfall hunt. But man, I'd I'd love for that next one to to be able to do both. That's for sure. 
Sure. And do you do any like trained retrieve program? Do you do like, I know some people call it force fetch. I like to call it trained retrieve because I'm not, I don't want to force my dog to do something. I like to train them to do it, but that's just, that's me. Yeah. No, I never went through any formal retrieve training. Um, I trained her pretty much all myself, had no idea what I was doing. Um, but she does retrieve not very well. I mean, she retrieves bumpers in the water, like no other, like she loves fetching bumpers in the water. Um, but when it comes to birds, she can be a little timid sometimes, especially when there's other dogs around. So she's not, I wouldn't say she's a, a full blown, you know, retriever. That's for sure. Um, sure. But it works for us. Yeah. And that's all that matters. If she finds right. the birds, at least you know where they're at. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so th this is, this is a really good segue though, too, because there is a video and I would love, I've seen multiple videos actually, but I would love to post it on our social channels. I'm guessing it's Bentley picking up geese in a field hunt, like big fat geese and delivering them to hand, Megan. I think, I think I know which one you're talking about. It's from this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I yeah. saw it and I went, wow. That was like, one of the biggest geese we've ever shot. Feel, feel free to share it. That's totally fine. I'm really proud of that. Actually, he has got, he's always been really good about it. The first couple of geese of the year, they kind of struggle to get their mouth back on it because they, it is so big. Um, but he, this last year was phenomenal. I mean, he just went and picked them up. I think there was one day there were seven birds out there. And just one after another, we're just sending him. He marked them beautifully and he's just, he goes and picks them up like they're a duck and brings them back. It's just, it's so fun to watch him because he's just, he's got that confidence now after a few years. And he's like, I got this. Just send me to the bird. I'll go get it for you. Is, how, how big is he? How much he, is he weigh? He is 52 pounds. He fluctuates between 52 and 54, but we're going to say he's 52. Okay. Yeah. So he's not that big. No. No. Yeah. No, he's not. I think Josie's like 48 pounds or something like that. So, I mean, and she's pretty petite. Yeah, our female is 40, what is she, 46, I think, right now. Um, and she is, I didn't take her out goose hunting much this year because Bentley came home from the Invitational. I wanted to give him, you know, kind of some, kind of some reward for all the training he did. And then Cruz has been going with us a lot because he's just, he just needs to learn the rope. So Jetta kind of got to be a little couch princess for a while but she she'll pick up geese just like the boys which really surprised me because her mouth is so tiny in comparison to them and it's fun that's amazing. it's 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 pretty amazing and this is the segue into training right you have your dogs you have you have you know bentley who's a versatile champion you have jetta and cruz who are you working toward that you know jetta has the utility test i think you said one year and four months is that is what I heard? Or one year and four days? Yep. So her first her first utility qualifying score for the Invitational was when she was a year and four months. Um, and then I ran her the year after I had Troy. Just Cheryl had convinced me. She's like, you know, why don't you just run and try to requalify her when I try to requalify Bentley? It, you know, it'd be something for you, which was a really good push for me because it wasn't really on the table. Um, so I ran her and I she got this weird thing at the blind, which is why I failed. Typical beach look fork where she's like, ooh, something is scary over there. I don't really know if I like it. Um, so that was three, three weeks before the test. So we tried to work through that. And she got to the bank of the other side at the Invitational. And she stopped. 
she knew there was a person that was placing ducks. And for whatever reason, she's like, I'm not getting on the bank. And I could not work her through that. I didn't have enough time. So when we came through to the utility test, the drag of duck is kind of similar. They hide a judge in like in the cover. So you have to go into the woods typically to get this duck. They have to, they have to go through some cover um, and she would not enter the woods. So I ended up having to yell at her. I was like, fetch. And the more commands you give after your initial command, you instantly get docked points. So I ended up getting a one and I was, we ended up with a prize three, which doesn't qualify you for the invitational. So then um, Taylor convinced me, he's like, you know what, why don't you just run her again? Um, when I run cruise and if we both qualify or one of us qualifies, just great. We can deal with it at that time. And she ended up putting up a perfect score in her third utility test, which is really rare. That's awesome. I think, I think even when I think about, right. Um, you know, you know, uh, qualifying for the invitational at, at one year and four months, right. And going through that steady to wing shot and fall, like for the, that's, Hey, right. She points the bird, you kick it up, you shoot it, right. The bird falls and they don't move, right. The only thing that moves is their head, right. And do that at, at a super young age to that standard is super impressive. And this is where I want to go with training. You said you hadn't, you haven't trained dogs before you got Bentley. Correct. Right? How, where did you learn to train dogs and how and I, and then before i ask that or actually as a, as you go through that what i'm wondering is how much of showing horses and training horses do you think has helped you in dog training oh honestly a lot um i don't think i would be as successful as i am with training the dogs if i didn't have that horse experience because it's the thing with that's different between horses and dogs is horses are about you know a thousand pounds so they, you're, you're trusting them with your life every time you get on that they are not going to essentially try to kill you. Um, dogs are a little bit different. You know, they're not clearly as big. They could still bite you. But, um, you know, those horses, you have to have some sort of communication, the feel. You know, you have to be able to read the animal that you're working with to kind of understand where their loopholes are, where they're not understanding where the training is going, where they're confused or what they excel at, which I think is is really what helped me with the dogs. And now having three different dogs, you learn so many things. And also by watching other people train dogs, talking to people, watching them train, listening to them talk to their dog, put those in your back pocket. That's That is my biggest piece of advice to people. Go and watch other people train listen to other people even if you don't have a dog go and walk the field with people i have learned so many things that i apply to my dogs strictly by watching it it sounds like you train with a really quality group of people though too which helps immensely our village we call it a village our family is phenomenal i could not ask for better people to have really mentored me to get me where i am i wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am without Navda or the group of people that I've met. Sure. And I'll ask this for Matt, because my, my experience is a, is slightly different than yours, right? Group training, Matt. I feel like I've learned more of what not to do from watching some people, uh, their dogs than I have from watching, uh, you know, really good people. They just seem like in the lab world, there's a lot more people who I'm like, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. Don't want to do that versus 
that was really insightful. I want to make sure that I'm doing that with my dog. But Matt, what's your experience on like? Yeah, I mean, my training group is super good um, in general. But like you said, there's definitely at least one person in our group that that's the model of like, do people come and you're like, don't do what she's doing. Like do the opposite of whatever you're going to see right here. Um, and that, that exists in your world too. Oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then it really shines at tests of potentially what not to do um, in that maybe higher stress situation uh, for people to take notes on, on. Don't do that in front of judges next time. Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. one guy in particular in our Navda group um, who unfortunately has passed due, due to some health issues. But um, I remember actually that's who Cruz is kind of named after. Um, I had asked for his permission before he passed. I was like, we're getting a third dog. Like, would you mind if I named our dog Cruz? I'll even spell it different. He's like, oh my gosh, no. Like, I would love that. Um, we got to train with him for quite a while. And I loved the way he handled his dogs. He was firm when he needed to be. He was always forgiving, but he just, he brought this, like, just genuine feel to the field. Like, I'm here because I enjoy it. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm here to earn the titles. I'm here to, you know, show off my dog, which is, which is great if that's what you're there for. But like the people that are genuinely there because they enjoy training and teaching their dog to do what they're bred to do. I just, I just find something so special in that. That's cool. <clears throat> so as far as a formal program, right, you, you bring just, I want to go back to like Bentley. I want to dig into this because this is always really interesting to me where people get started, right? You bring Bentley home. Like, are you doing research on training programs online? Are your, is your, um, your breeder sending you information? Is there like a formal program you're following? And how did you learn to do, we call it for, I call it force fetch, but the trained retrieve, whatever you actually want to call it. And sure. did you do that yourself without assistance on him? No. So our breeder um, worked so many hours with us. She is, well, both of them are, but I, I'm super close with Cheryl. So she really took me under her wing and she's like, hey, like, why don't you come over, you know, this day and this day, I'm going to walk you through this because she kept a, she kept two puppies from Bentley's litter as well. So we had litter mates, which was really cool. Um, and she walked me through like, okay, so this is where we should be right now in as far as like, let's say even wool training, we started using the kennel um, where you would tell them, whoa, you keep the door shut. And as you open it, they should be staying in the kennel. They cannot burst out. So this is down, down the line. This is going to play into your field stuff where they understand like, whoa, means you're stopped. You're staying still. You're not moving. Um, but just like little things like that, we'd go through little sessions. I'd go home, I'd work for a week and then I'd come back and she would see what progress we've made and work on the next thing. So she was really a key point to where Bentley is at. Like we had no idea. She's like, we're going to get you where you need to go. We're going to help you train your dog. Even if you don't want to go through NAVDA, like you're going to have a good hunting dog that's well-trained. So going into the forest fetch, I'm like, or train retreat, whatever. Um, she walked us through, it's called smart fetch. If you look it up, you'll probably find, I don't know if you guys use that or heard it's, of it. It's yep. Evan's it's Evan Evan program. Yep. yep. I was like, it's yeah. Okay. So we, we use that. That's really what we have the foundation of. So she walked me through, you know, how she does it with her dogs, how she introduces it. And then I just carried that over to our next few dogs. I didn't need 
as much foundational help. I still called her with questions. I called, you know, the other breeders with questions, but really that first with Bentley, it was really Cheryl who kind of took me under her wing and said, Hey, like, come on over. Why don't we walk through this? And I just kind of absorbed it like a sponge and took notes. And that's that I just carried it to our next couple dogs. Have, have you, uh, was it easier the second and third time around with your, with your next two? Yes and no. Um, as far as like the program itself, it was easy, but the part that was difficult is Jetta responded different than Bentley. She couldn't take as much pressure as Bentley did. So that created, I don't want to say issues, challenges in itself. Um, she was more compliant than Bentley was, and maybe it was because I wasn't as new a handler too. Um, she didn't have as much pushback, but she also didn't have as much drive going forward. So I couldn't use as much pressure as I was able to on Bentley. So adjusting that and Cruz, Cruz has a natural retrieve, which is really cool. Again, this goes back to your genetics and your lines and just kind of learning what you're looking for and what you want. But he took to it really, really quickly and really easily. Um, he just, he just grabbed it and ran with it. Awesome. That's awesome. That's it's um it's different with each dog. There it's you know, and every time you do it, it's different. It's it's pretty amazing that you were able to do it with your first dog, like without without a ton of assistance. Because that is that is the thing that hangs a lot of people up. Um, I used I used Smart Fetch with Mac, and I got to a hunt test down in Iowa, Matt, at your club actually. Um, it was our second and third hunt test that we ever ran after he smoked the first one. And he brought the bird back in the first series first bird back. So like I didn't, you know, I had made an error somewhere along the way and I had to go back and revisit it, you know, and I, that's, that's a, it's a hard thing with your first dog to get through that. And I don't, Matt, I don't, I don't know what your experience is like with Maggie. Yeah. I won't be force touching my dog the next time it's going, it's going to camp next time. <laughs> I mean, like, I think I would be much better at it the second time. Like, I was way too afraid, like timid with the bird. Like, I don't know. I read enough that like, you don't want to do this and you don't want to do this for like future field stuff. And I think I got in my head and not having done it before, like that's a huge undertaking to like get a dog to do the trained retrieve, you know, from, from the ground to you every single time. And I definitely had a touch up and, you know, as I got to know people more, like I, I had a tune up, like she was two and a half or three and you had to tune up a little bit more before I went into that hunt test season. Um, but yeah, I, it's not something I loved. I think I'd be fine doing it, but you know, at this point in life to, to go through it again, I'll, I'll probably just send my next dog off. Cause I do want to play the game a lot more than I, I am with Maggie. So, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting too, cause Ren is Ren. I I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I screwed things up a little bit or if her mouth is just naturally that soft. It drives me insane. Well, yeah. When I was at your house, that bumper in her mouth, she was picking it up and then just kind of like fell out and it's like, what? It's, it is happening? just that is always like that. Everything <laughs> is that soft it, and it yeah. drives me insane. And I spent more time on hold with her than like any dog that I've ever touched, uh -huh. which is, you know, and it's like, I don't, I can't quite figure it out, but I, I'm, I'm sure I did something wrong there. So, you know, sorry. Anyway, to not to digress. So, um, 
So it's pretty cool how you've how you picked it up. Have you had any other influences besides your breeders and your club? Is there is there information online that you've accessed? Because there's so many online training programs now out there. Have you there, leveraged that at all? There is. You know, we've watched like we've gone on YouTube and kind of looked at ideas for training things, but really Taylor and I have kind of brainstormed just from like again watching other people and the things that we've read just going to say, Hey, like, why don't we trial this? Which I am not really a risk taker. Whereas Taylor is really good about challenging me and saying, Hey, like, why don't we just try it? Like, it's not going to hurt anything. You know, if it, if it doesn't seem like it's working, we're going to stop. Cause you don't, like you were saying, Matt, like you get to a point where you're worried about screwing something up or you, you know, you're a little afraid to push too much, which it is scary. Like the first, the first dog with Bentley, you know, I was, I was worried about that, but, you know, having somebody kind of walk you through the program is really good. The second one, I had a lot of those fears saying, you know, oh gosh, am I pushing too much? Am I not pushing enough? Um, as far as other programs, we really haven't used anything other than the smart fetch. Just it's a program that works for us. Um, and I think if we ever run into it where it's not working, then we would probably do more research, but it's, it's worked really well for us. Yeah. From uh, just a, moving on, like force fetch or the trainer retreat, anything else from woe training or anything else you like, where are you picking things up from? Is it just your group? It mostly, mostly our group. I mean, we have a really big group and a lot of with our breeders, we haven't really used any other programs as far as, you know, watching you. We've watched some YouTube videos and stuff, just like how to introduce woe training, but there's no like specific program that we're like, we're going to follow this every time. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, that worked. It worked for one dog and it kind of works. We just tweak it for the next dog kind of thing. No, that's cool. I think it's, I think it's cool. Cause it, what I'm gathering and Matt and Jeff, I'll let you guys weigh in here to see if you agree or disagree with me is your, your community or your village sounds like it's just so strong. Like you're surrounded by the right people that can support you and help give you guidance when you've needed, when you've needed it along this journey of really knowing under and understanding your dogs and how to train them, right? Cause you're running big time, high level stuff with your dogs at test. And then you're also hunting them and doing really cool things with them too. And that's, um, yeah, I'm, I need to find a group like that. I need to find a village like that. I think what's the coolest about our village group is you, the newer people, I mean, we can kind of critique them and kind of guide them, but, once you get to a point where like now we're on our third dog, we come, we show up to the training sessions and they're like, okay, what is it that you want to work on today? And you say, okay, I'm looking at this and they're, you know, you say, let's say steadiness. Okay. So what exercise do you want to do to work on steadiness? And they let us kind of bring something to the table. They'll tell like the people that have been doing this forever. They're like, uh, you know, I, I would be careful with that, but we can certainly try it. They don't tell us no, they'll guide us, but they're, they're always willing to be like, yeah, okay. We've never done that. You know, if it's something we've seen on YouTube or heard from somebody else, um, you know, they'll, they're more than willing to try it, but they're never like, Oh, we're strictly doing this. This is how we do things. They're open to all other different type of training techniques. And it, I think that's, what's really cool. And what makes our group really strong. Awesome. That's awesome. <clears throat> all right. I want to segue the conversation before I do that, uh, or transition it, I should say, Matt, Jeff, Anything 
anything you want to ask on the training, testing, anything like that standpoint? I mean, you kind of hit it on, on it a little bit with your dogs with different personalities, right? So how did you get used to training those different dogs? Like you had Bentley and you were pretty comfortable, obviously running that dog in NAVDA and in the field. And then you get these other dogs with different personalities. Like how do you mentally separate training them? Because obviously Tyler, you're in the same boat. You have two very different dogs. You know, you're the same person, same trainer, but you know, you've got to unplug when you go from one dog to the next one. Like how, how'd you get used to doing that? I think the when I noticed it the most that you can actually separate that is when I ran two dogs at Invitational. Um, when I ran them at the utility tests, when they were both running, I kind of noticed it because they are so different. I don't really know how to even describe how you do it. You just, you get so comfortable with one dog learning how they work. You kind of have to watch like, you know, Bentley's, Bentley's a bigger runner than Jetta. So I know as soon as he goes on point, there's going to be a bird. I don't have to second guess it. I'm going to walk up. I know how he works. I switched to Jetta. It's a completely different ball game. And as far as explaining it, I don't really even think you can. Until you're in it and you're just running your dog, you just learn how to read them. It's kind of like kids. You, They're all different in their personalities. You know one kid is going to ask for a blue Powerade when the other one wants grape, and they're not, they're not going to switch from you know one drink to the other they they have their own things that they do and you just get used to that i have a, I have a follow-up question for you and this is something that i've struggled with is when you're training right and and my training sessions can be pretty short like i'm setting up wingers and throwing a couple of marks and then flipping out dogs when one dog struggles have you ever struggled with compartmentalizing that and then not having frustration heading into running the next dog because i am super guilty of this and i had a stretch this past summer where it was like a month straight where one dog just sucked and then the other dog caught the tail end of that because i was frustrated and, and like are you blind can you not see like you have eyes you're supposed to be able to mark why like what's going on you know and then i it, Anyway, have you had any of those issues or am I just like the Lone Ranger out here on my own islands? No, not at all. Um, I I have very much struggled with that too. And actually, I think that's why Bentley did not pass at the blind the second invitational because I ran Jetta first. I was super frustrated. I came out and it was, I had no downtime. I had to go back to back. I walked back to the truck, grabbed Bentley. He was mm -hmm. the last dog of the day. They both had perfect days going and I took him down. And that is where we struggled is he could feel that going down the leash. And as soon as he felt that his whole body language changed. And I regret that so much. Had I had time to decompress, I would have left him in his kennel. I would have composed myself and hopefully not had that, but a thousand percent. We, yes, I have struggled with that. And it's some days it's really hard. You, some days you're almost better off just saying, you know what? I'm done for the day because I'm not going to do you any favors and come back to it a different day or even later in the day. Do you hear that, Matt? You need a second dog so you can go through these struggles too. Yeah, I, I do. I do. I do. I do need a second one. It's oh. fun though. Because it, honestly, if you look at the big picture, it has taught me a lot just as an individual, how to kind of handle your emotions a little bit better as frustrating as it is. It, it teaches you a lot about yourself when you train dogs. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about <clears throat> traits specifically and how different all types of dogs are and even the same breed, you know, within the same breed. 
Now, I know you haven't trained anything but Vishlas, but you've seen a lot of other types of pointers out in the field and at your NAVDA groups and your hunt tests. Now, is there anything unique about Vishlas in terms of their training? Read specific things that you see that are different than other pointers out there, like GSPs or setters and things like that. I feel like Vishlas are typically a little bit softer in training. Um, just from the perspective of they don't, I don't want to group them all together because I don't want to offend any other Vishla people that are watching this, but um, they don't take pressure super well and it comes out sideways. So you put too much pressure on a dog, they tend to shut down for Vishlas where I look at the short hairs and obviously this depends on your lines and the dog itself, but I feel like they can take a lot more pressure. Um, kind of more like a lab. Everybody jokes that like, oh, you know, labs want to retrieve so bad. You could beat them with a two by four and they'll still go do what you want. You can't do that to a Bishla. They, you know, you yell at them and they're like, I'm mad at you. I'm not doing that. You know, they, they hold, they're kind of grudgy. Oh yes. But if you have, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a partnership, they will do just about anything for you. You just have to learn how to read them. And I think that's why people struggle a little bit with visuals is because they don't understand that you have to have a partnership. It's not a dictatorship. It's a partnership with a visual where other breeds, you can kind of get away with a little bit more of like, you will do this because I'm telling you to do it. Um, that's the biggest thing that I've really noticed. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny you, you mentioned it. That, you but... mentioned the grudge thing because I, I definitely feel that from time to time. You can really, really piss her off and she'll go lay in her bed and won't even look at you for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, yep. My female does the same thing. <laughs> uh, it's funny though. One thing I have noticed though with, with Josie, she's very soft at home, but in the field, I mean I can I can give her as much pressure and she just doesn't it doesn't even seem to phase her sometimes. Um, where I got to crank that, that collar up if I really want to get her to, you know, stop doing something that I, you know, I don't want her to do. It just seems like it, it doesn't even phase her sometimes. I don't know if you see that. Do you, do you e-collar? Do you have e-collars in your dogs? We do. Yep. Okay. Yep. We do. Yeah. We go through a whole process of that too. Um, you know, collar conditioning and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. At home. I mean, I have it pretty low and I rarely ever use it. I use tone a lot too. Um, but in the field, it seems like sometimes there's just, it, it doesn't matter. She just gets obsessed with what, what she's doing. Their drive, again, this goes back to lines, but I feel like their, their drive and will to hunt, and maybe it's all breeds, but like the field is very different. You turn them out in a field and you're like, okay, you see where where the the breeding is from, what they were born to do. And in the house yeah i would i would say even like some training in the yard i've noticed like you take them out into a field if you're working on steadiness in the yard that pressure that you're using on those drills is different than the steadiness that you do in the field mm -hmm. you know you you just again it comes to reading your dogs and seeing what they can take and what they can't mm -hmm. that makes sense perfect <clears throat> um okay I'm going to, I'm going to segue here because we've been rolling for a while and we could, I think we could keep talking. Um, we're 30 minutes past my bedtime though. So we're going to start to wind down here. Kind of, kind of before we get there though, I want to ask about, you know, you have, you have, you have, you're in the same boat of same boat of life as we are, right? Same stage where right you have a young family, you have a toddler, 
what has that experience been like trying to balance training and hunting with a young family? It, it, it is a struggle, honestly, but we have, we take Troy with us a lot, especially when he was younger, we got a backpack carry and we're like, you know, just because we have a family doesn't mean we're going to stop doing what we love. It is going to alter and change things that we do. But that was one thing is, you know, we want to continue to be the people that we are enjoy what we love doing and you know kids kids should be an extension of that we're not going to force them to do things by any means but um he goes with us a lot we're very fortunate um both of our parents live relatively close mine are just down the road and taylor's parents are just a couple hours away um so they come and they hang out and they you know they watch them they play with them for the day so we can go and train a lot of times after work you know we'll go take the dogs um one of us will stay with Troy. One will take the dogs with the kayak. We'll go swim just to get some exercise and work on different drills. Like Taylor will go, for example, this last year, Taylor will go and do his drill with Cruz. I hang out with Troy and then we flip flop. He'll come in and hang out with Troy and then I go with Jetta and vice versa. Um, otherwise, we in the summer, we'll just put Troy down for a nap or he goes to bed. We just you just kind of change, you know, you, you make do with the time that you have, you stay up later, you work a little harder. It's, it's challenging, but it's very rewarding at the same time. Now, how was it introducing your dogs to your, to your little one? How did that go? Oh my gosh, that was so special. I will remember this for the rest of my life. We brought Troy home and I set him on the counter. We have a big Island in our kitchen. And like most parents do with your first kid, you set him on the counter and you're like, well, now what do I do with them? Well, you know, you yeah. have all this help in the hospital and you're like, now what happens? But all the dogs, Jetta was really attached to me throughout my whole pregnancy. Um, I mean, she would come and lay on my belly every night, like just always cuddle up with me. She was a little standoffish because she's my baby. She's very much my dog. Um, but Bentley was, he actually got his paws up on one of the chairs and he put his head in the car seat and just looked at him. He had never seen a baby that small. But he just, he sat there and stared at him. So then I was unpacking our bags and I had him laying on his little newborn boppy and Bentley was laying right there just on the floor watching him. He never left him. And Cruz, Cruz was such a puppy at the time that he's like, oh, cool. Like there's something else in the house. Like he, he didn't know. He's like, oh, it makes noise. Okay. I'm going to go find a toy. He just, he was kind of oblivious to it because he was still little himself, but yeah, Bentley, Bentley for sure was the most interested, but they've all been super gentle with him and just, they're always interested in know where he's at. And Jetta would lay on the floor by his crib. Half of the time I couldn't find the dogs and they're just laying on the floor watching him, which is really cool. Yeah. So Jetta's the female, right? And that was, that was the one that you said was a little bit standoffish at first. Yeah. She, and it wasn't like a mean standoffish. It was like, your attention is going somewhere other than me. It was a jealousy kind of, yeah. you know, I want your attention. You're my person. Um, but she, you know, anytime I was holding him, she'd come and curl up right next to me and put her head on my lap. And um, she's like his best friend now. She'll just go and lay in his crib. She half the time lays on the rocker in his room. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Our, our female dog was kind of the same way, very standoffish at first. Like, I don't know what this thing's going to do to me. I don't, don't come near me. And like, you know, even when they were, they first started crawling, they would crawl up to her and she would never growl or get aggressive or anything like that. She would just kind of stand up and be like, I'm going to go sit over here now. 
Yeah. Um, because I'm not really sure what's going to happen here. I don't really trust you yet. But as the kids are starting to get older now, you can see that that's starting to come around and, and she's getting a lot more comfortable with them. Yeah, it's really cool to me how they kind of adjust to the different phases of life. Like once Troy was able to kind of roll around on the floor, Cruz was always right there. Like I have some videos where he just goes and he lays right next to him. He would lay his head on his belly and make Troy giggle. And, um, you know, Jetta Bentley, actually, other than when we brought him home, he kind of stayed away from Troy because he's like, he's so little. I don't know what to do with him. You know, he was very cautious, which surprised me, but amazed me at the same time that they know how to be so gentle with something so little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, uh, okay. I'll ask, I'll ask everybody here. Are your children getting rough with your dogs? And I ask this because my dogs, I feel like put up with a lot. I mean, today, we need to have a little thinking time because she was literally Matt was laying down by the couch and she kept standing on top of him, like literally two feet on him, balancing one hand on the table, one hand on the couch and like looking up like, Hey, Hey, Hey. And then, you know, it just would not stop doing it. Like they're just, you know, my dogs just sit there and they take the ear pulls. They take the very rough hugs and everything. You know, it's, it is amazing how they just put up with it, but everybody, everybody else's children doing the same thing that mine are doing. Yep. Yeah, our, our son, our son hugging. it's more yeah. like he'll go get a ball, one of Josie's balls, and instead of throwing it for her, he throws it right at her and hits her in the face. So that, oh. that happens quite often in our household. <laughs> yeah, Troy yeah, does a little bit of that, too. He's he's pulled a couple ears. There's a little bit of yelping, but they, you know, they more or less just walk away like, okay, you're annoying me. I'm going to go find somewhere else to be. Yeah. And that's what our that's what our dog does too. They she won't take it. She'll just leave and get and go into another room and be like, "I'm not dealing with this right now." Yep. Yeah. yeah. They they would not do what your dogs do, Tyler. They're like, "Nope, we're we're leaving the room. I'm going to my kennel. I'm going somewhere where you can't find me." Yeah. Oh, same yeah. with me. <laughs> my dogs are just lay, sit there and take it. Like we love Toy Story, so you know the dogs are Bullseye, and so we like to ride Bullseye. You know. Aww. Yes, not like actually while the dogs are standing, they're just laying there, but they like sit on top of them and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's the real thing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing watching how how those dogs just literally, and you could do anything to those dogs and they don't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and that's like how how much exercise are you able to give your dogs, you know, with with a young family to ensure that, right? I mean, beasts need a little bit more exercise than labs. Just, just to, you know, I, I call it burning the top off, right? Where they they can be calm in the house and be, you know, whatever. My dogs are going nuts because they haven't run in like a week. Cause it's just, it's just not safe um, with the snow and the cold and everything. Um, like how much, how much you're able to give them since you have three of them too. Cause every dog, like the more dogs you have, the more time it takes to train them and exercise too. So I'm really fortunate. We live out in the country on 20 acres that butts up to another 20 acres of what my parents own. Um, so we actually have a four-wheeler that we use and we have a path around the outside. So I'm able to do that. I mean, I do that as much as possible and we take them swimming as, you know, we, we've been incorporating more swimming. We'll take a kayak and just let them, you know, swim next to us. We'll hop back up on the land, let them run for a little bit, rest, get back in the water to really build their stamina. But we're I would say in the summer, in the spring, when we're able to swim them too, we're doing probably five to six days a week on, you know, on top of the training just to 
you know, build up their stamina and their muscle and make sure that they're, they're fit. Cause obviously they have to be fit for these tests. Right. Um, and yeah, it's funny how different ages, like Bentley doesn't need as much. He'll go like one lap and he'll actually run back up to the house. He's like, I'm done. I'll see you later. And the other two are still booking it in front of the four wheeler. Um, and it's fun cause Troy can go with me. So it's, it makes it pretty easy to have that. We go on walks quite a bit, so I'll take them and then I can work on leash manners and you just kind of incorporate, you know, some of your manners with your exercise and. That's good. That's that having, having that resource right there obviously helps. Right. I mean, um, I live in town, so it's not, I, I wish, I wish, especially with, yeah. We're, we're really, we're really lucky. I, when we lived in town, when we first got Bentley, we lived close to a lake. So I would go when he got old enough, obviously when they're puppies, you don't want to run them too much, like on a leash on pavement, but he would go for like four mile runs with me. We'd stop and we'd swim. So we'd do that a few times a week, but it's definitely better now that we're in the country to be able to have that resource. Okay. That's cool. Perfect. All right. Okay, we've been going for quite a while now. Uh, before we go into the wrap up here, Jeff, Matt, what did what did I miss? What's on your guys's question list? The only thing I had left was how did you know to or when did you decide to go from one dog to two? I guess is the first step. Two to three seems like not a jump for most people, but one to two. <laughs> when did you decide? It's kind of like kids. One to two is easy. The two to three is like you're going to 15, but um, it's already chaos. Just yeah, add. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, it is what it is at this point. No, yeah. um, we didn't really, again, kind of from like the two to three, we didn't really plan on that. We didn't really plan on the one to two either. It was just kind of an opportunity. I mean, we always knew we wanted a second dog. We just didn't know time frame wise. Um, it was just an opportunity that came up and it was a right opportunity for us. We had the capacity to take the dog. Um, they are so yeah, they're two years apart, which I think is a pretty good age gap. Just judging by where Bentley is. I quite frankly, I think like a three year age gap is ideal. Um, just because then the first dog kind of has a better understanding. They know the ropes, they know your routine. They're pretty well out of the puppy stage. I mean, they still have a lot of energy, but they're pretty well conditioned to your life. Um, it just worked for us because Bentley was, he's always been more mature than what his actual age is. I do have one more question. Um, obviously, Vishas aren't known as waterfowl dogs, but you take your dogs out waterfowl hunting quite a bit. Now yeah. with their short coat and, you know, kind of their they get cold very easily, especially if they're wet and sitting still. Do you have a specific threshold temperature wise that you take those dogs out into the, the blind or the field with you waterfowl hunting? We do. Um, we don't do a lot of late season duck hunting just from the standpoint that we do a lot of deer hunting. So we don't, it's, it just gets chaotic. I mean, you hit right mm -hmm. season we're bull hunting. Temperature wise, I mean, it kind of depends on the dog. Bentley can go in colder water. We didn't really take crews a ton this year. It just kind of got away from us. But um, really late November, it's more of a season thing than it is a temperature thing for us. But it really depends on the dog. Bentley could go in colder water with his neoprene vest. But like Jetta does not tolerate super cold water. So she's just. She'll do it if I ask her to, but she will not. 
she doesn't love it. You can tell she's like, I'm not loving this, but because you asked me to. And that's what I love about her is she's so willing to do that. Um, if you're asking for an actual temperature, I don't even know that I could give you that. Yeah, but mostly you, you keep it to early season and it's yeah. probably a more mild temperatures as opposed to that those frigid temperatures, especially if you're in the water. Yeah, and it's not so much that they won't, I mean, they won't go get it, but then they sit there and they, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of, well, it's limp tail, but people call it lab tail too. You know, Bentley has actually gotten that a couple of times from hunting later than what we typically would hunt. And it just, it doesn't make it fun for them. You know, it's, they get cold and then it's not enjoyable for anybody. Yeah. Uh, Mac, we, I've called it swimmer's tail. Max had that before. Yeah, yeah. he's had it too. Yep. I, I swam him at the end of May and he got it. Oh, Blake was not warm enough. End of May. So, yeah. Yep. So, all right. Um, let's go into what we refer to as our sky blasting question. So this is how we usually wrap up our episodes, Megan. So we'll ask you some questions. There could be random. They could be training, hunting related. They could be anything really. And the whole deal is right. First thing that comes to mind, you just, you just let it fly. Right? Okay. Just like your birds that you have no shot at, you're firing away at 80 plus yards. The kiss, the kiss my ass shots. Tony yes. Peterson. Tony Peters. The Hail Marys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, all right. My first question for you is, and I, Matt and Jeff, you guys can jump in then too, coffee or energy drinks? Neither. Um, I am not an energy drink person. I love the smell of coffee, but I don't drink it. I'm more of like a chai tea or water person wow well, okay. there's some ca there's some caffeine involved function, in these, to be right? honest with you <laughs> i wish i liked either one of those but i just don't okay we got we have i thought you know i wasn't sure if we were going to get someone on matt's team he's team energy drink or you're going to be on the team coffee snob which is jeff and i so chai tea is not the team that i would have guessed <laughs> all right jeff matt what do you guys got that's you only have one. No, no. I, oh, okay. You got more. Jump in here while I write them out here. Yeah, I have I four. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go through them fast though. Um, hunt tests or hunting? What do you prefer? I would say hunting. Hunting. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now I'm gonna have some really random ones mixed in here. Would you? I've been on this like would you rather kick. So bear with me. So would you rather spend an entire day wearing wet socks or an entire day with a popcorn kernel stuck in your teeth? Oh my gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh. That is a miserable question, I, Jeff. Yes. I think I'm gonna go with the wet socks. Okay. I cannot stand popcorn kernels in my teeth. <laughs> that's a terrible question. It is, it's a lose-lose <laughs> right there for sure. I laughed and I wrote that one down. Okay. All right. Uh, Disney Plus or Netflix? I know you have a toddler. Netflix. Netflix? Okay. Is he, uh, is he a blippy? Is he a blippy lover? No, I have not let him watch that yet. Really? Okay. Oh, sure. yeah. Blippy's not bad. Blippy and Mika, <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. All right. Better Peppa Pig. I haven't let him watch that yet either. Oh, yeah. That, I can't do the accents and the snorting on that one. Oh. <laughs> It's like they snort at the end of every word. It just drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. All right. I have one more. Would you rather this one's this one's kind of deep. All right. Okay. Would you rather fulfill your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret? 
Ooh. I got some hard ones today. Tyler's like... <laughs> you have to ask me that one again. I don't even know how to... All right. Would you rather fulfill your biggest wish or resolve your biggest regret? I'm going to say resolve my biggest regret. Okay. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. I think I would go with that one, too. That's deep. Dive deep on that one. All right. That's all I got. Matt? Sure. Last book you read. Not a children's book. Oh, my gosh. It's going to say Goodnight Moon was the one I just, last book I just read. Um, probably a textbook from college. I don't, I don't read books and I'm yes. Yep. No, I should, team, but I team no book over here too. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Matt said his new year's resolution was to read two, 12 books. And I said, well, that's 12 more than I'm going to read this year. <laughs> yep. Agree. Um, assuming you have mounts and taxidermy in your house, what is your favorite? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I like all of them, but I'm going to be selfish and say I love my biggest bow buck to date um, the most. I just, it's just a memory I'm going to carry with me forever. And I just, every time I look at it, I can replay the hunt in my head. And it's just, it's just cool how mounts bring you back. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and if you had to pick one, ducks, geese, or like pheasants, upland birds? Oh, this is a hard question. I love goose hunting, but Pheasant hunting. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go with pheasant hunting just because of how many people we get to hunt with. It's more of the memories. Like, I make a lot of memories with Taylor and our goose hunting, but I just, I've really come to enjoy pheasant hunting. Sure. That's, that's, that's what answer. I had. <clears throat> All right. Uh, my next question for you is what did you have for dinner tonight? We had. That chicken, is chicken. Chicken nuggets. Yes. It's all every, every <laughs> we time had, we ask this, it's chicken nuggets. No, it's not. It's not actually. We had uh, venison tips and noodles and mandarin oranges. Ooh. ooh. Yeah. Nice. That's really good, actually. Yeah. Sounds good. That is the most sophisticated answer that we've ever had. I think we've asked that question. <laughs> it's because I actually prepped something the night before, which doesn't happen often. Yes, I understand. I understand. Uh, okay. Uh, what is number one on your bucket list hunt list? A moose. Okay. Ooh. It will probably never happen. That would be a wish for me. But it, I tell Taylor that all the time. I'm like, if I ever get a chance to go moose hunting, I I don't know what I do. I just, I'm fascinated with moose. Okay. <laughs> Bow or gun? Hmm. I think I'd be a little too scared to get that close with a bow, but I think it'd be pretty sweet. But you have some cathedral ceilings because that would be uh, no joke of a, a mount. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, we yeah. need to build like a shed or an addition to the house for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What uh, what show are you watching on Netflix right now? What's your go-to show? Or Virgin Netflix? River. Okay. Yeah. I haven't heard of that one. It's, people either like it and binge watch it or they're like no i can't really get into it and us we like watch the whole season that just came out in about three days hmm. nice. i must look that one up okay all right last one uh what is your proudest moment as a handler hunter or trainer 
That is a really good question. I have a lot of them. Um, honestly, I think my proudest moment is going to be Jetta's ut perfect utility score from this past year, just because we overcame a lot. And as we were talking earlier, like your life changes a lot when you become parents, you kind of almost lose a piece of who you are. Like you don't actually lose it. Right. But it, it changes. So for me to be able to just kind of get back in that world and enjoy that with her and just really enjoy the moment and come out with something that I didn't think I was ever going to accomplish is just really special. I'm going to cherish that for the rest of my life. It's a good answer. It's a very good answer. It's perfect. It's a great way to put a bow on our sky blasting questions to uh, wrap up this episode. Megan, if there are Visla people out there who want to get in touch with you, who have questions for you, maybe they want to get an introduction to the, you know, the breeders that you have dogs from, they have questions about your dogs. How, how can they get a hold of you, whether that's social media? I would assume it's social media. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a Facebook page and I'm on Instagram. So either way, I'm pretty terrible, honestly, at checking my messenger on Facebook. I do get to them, but it's like, if you don't hear from me for five or six days, it's just because I have a toddler and life's kind of crazy, but I will get back to you. Um, but either way, really Instagram or Facebook is, is there. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, that's it then. Um, if you've made it this far, thank you for tuning in. If you have 10 seconds, uh, go ahead and leave us a review. We would love, love to hear feedback from you. If you want to get in touch with us, if you have questions for us, feedback for us, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, pretty much anywhere and everywhere. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Later. Thanks, Megan. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good night. You too. Bye.